0: Wow, what a great setup. I love this setup. You guys get to look at each other and not me. That's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I noticed the comfy chairs are gone. I don't know what that says about my speaking, but um, that's okay. Um, if, I was mo- if I was nervous last week, I'm more nervous this week because my wife's here. And uh, and now she can call me on all my stories. i got to now be honest with my stories. And normally when I tell a story, I can make myself out to be the hero. Uh, now she can call me on it. So... <laughs> um, actually the I, i'm i one ear is blocked, so I can't hear very well right now I can't hear on on good days, but I can't hear very well at all right now um, so um I'm sorry if you heard me singing uh, I apologize for that uh, I don't know how loud I was singing um, but I, I thought of a story um, a, a guy named Morris went to go see his doctor and um and he got a physical from his doctor and then a couple of days later, the doctor saw Morris walking down the street with uh with a beautiful beautiful young lady and Morris is 80 years old so you know an 80 year old man walking down the street with a very young beautiful lady on his arm and a big smile on his face and, and the doctor thought what's, what's going on here sure enough he sees Morris a couple days later and he runs into him and he says Morris you're doing really well he goes well doc I'm just following your advice you said get a hot mama and be cheerful and the doctor said that's not what I said I said you got a heart murmur be careful
1: <laughs> so
0: you got to be a little careful when uh, when you're hearing things so if I misunderstand you, then, uh, then that's why. But um, it's so easy to misunderstand things. It, it really is easy to misunderstand things. There's a, um, last week we started talking about being a community of grace. And uh, what, a, what a crucial thing that is. And, and not only talking about being a community of grace, we're talking about Father's Word. And, and again, it's, it's so easy to hear one thing and misinterpret something else. Um, there are some uh, some lines that maybe you've seen in an email. Someone's forwarded it to you, and I thought these were kind of funny. These are either lines that have been in church bulletins or out in front of, front of churches and so forth, um, but just different things, different statements that people have made that, you know, if you look at it, really, yeah, it makes sense, but how they've phrased it, it could be easily misunderstood. So uh, the first one is that don't let worry kill you. Let the church help.
1: <laughs> um
0: For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. So if you don't know you have kids, go downstairs and find out. Uh, Tuesday at 4 p.m., there will be an ice cream social. All ladies giving milk will please come early. Special kind of ice cream, I guess. Family recipe. Uh, Miss Charlene Mason saying, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. But that one. No. All right.
1: Uh
0: next Sunday a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward to do so.
1: I don't
0: know what this is about me, but I like this one. A bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Music will follow. Um <laughs> At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice.
1: <laughs> uh, the
0: peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't know when they're going to reschedule it. but uh... Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for her, for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests made for Pastor Jack's sermons. So that might help her go <laughs> to sleep. And, uh, and ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of all those things not worth keeping around your house. Don't forget your husband.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought that was funny. But it's easy to misinterpret things. Something, I mean, if you look at it, you know, it's, you can understand it, but also see how it could be misunderstood very easily. And, um, and we talked about a community of grace versus a community of good intentions. Uh, the community of good intentions is the community where people say, I, I will determine to walk alongside you, to uh, endeavor to help you so that you sin less and that we might be more pleasing to God. And on the surface, that may sound good, but the problem is it leads to much destruction. It, it is one that will not lead to life. It is one that will lead to hiding in shame. It's one where accountability groups are often formed. And accountability groups, you know, per se, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, However, many accountability groups have the wrong idea altogether. Uh, What they do is they focus in on sin. How have you been doing? How have you been getting along this last week? Have you done this sin? Have you done that sin? And their focus is where? On sin. It's on your performance. It's on what you're able to do or not to do. And so, when you get a group of people coming together and all their focus is on their sin and what they've failed and and what they haven't been able to do, then inevitably what will begin to happen is they'll begin to hide. Because they'll come together as a group and the first time they'll be saying, you know what, I I did it. I sinned. I blew it. I know we said we weren't going to do it, but I, I tried and I blew it. But as a group, we'll embrace you and we accept you and that's fine. But then the next week comes by and you have to confess the exact same sin. Third week comes by and you have to confess the exact same sin. And what makes matters worse is there's one or two people that haven't committed that sin in the last couple of weeks. And so now you're feeling less than the other person. So the fourth week comes by and you say, well, maybe I'll just, I'll just hide the fact that I didn't sin. And so you hide the fact that you sinned and you lie. Well, little do you know that the other guys who haven't sinned the last couple of weeks, they've been lying as well. So all we're doing is coming together, encouraging one another to lie, to hide from the fact that we've sinned because we don't want to admit it until after many weeks go by, we figure, well, it's better not to go than to lie in the first place. And so all the accountability groups have done, rather than, than leading you away from your sin, which really isn't God's goal primarily. Do you understand that? It's not His primary goal to lead you away from sin. But instead of leading away from sin, it just caused you to hide and, and, and sin some more in a different way. And so it's not about sin management. And too often, a community of good intentions It's all about performance. It's all about looking right and looking good. And that's not what God's interested in. Look around the room and you'll quickly discover that's not what God's interested in. He's in something far more, something far greater, which is this community of grace. A community of people that have come together and they say, i determined to just love you. i determined to accept you. That you are okay just as you are because God loves you. Period. And my goal for you is to encourage you, to, to point you to Jesus, that you may trust Him. Because that's what He's looking for. He's looking for a group of people that trust Him. That's what He wants. And in trusting Him, you guys and I, we can become this community of grace that this world so desperately is looking for, what it so desperately needs. So we, we covered that last week. And now you might expect us to get into now a discussion of how do we do that? How do we now become this community of grace? What are the mechanics? What are the, what are the list of things to do? And that's not going to come. At least not tonight. Not, not today at least. Uh, instead we're going to take a step back and we're going to discuss uh, a little bit of, of what man was meant to be. Because in order for us to understand what this community of grace is and and what gets in the way of that community of grace, we need to really have an understanding of what was God's intention making man? What was the purpose of all that? So we're going to spend the next few weeks just going right back to Genesis, living in the first three chapters of Genesis and, and understanding what took place there so that we have an understanding of how do we live today. So with that as our goal, why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, We're we're really excited about what you have in store for us. We we look forward to learning what it means to become a community of grace and more importantly, how do we do it? And so this morning, Father, as we return to your word and and hear from you, may that be the case. May they not hear from me, but hear from you. I and of myself have nothing to offer these people but You are the author of life. So Father, I thank You for what You're going to do. I know it's going to be special in our hearts as we turn to You and trust You and as we confess our dependence upon You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So why, why did God make man in the first place? What was the, what was the purpose of it? And and understanding that purpose, then we have a better understanding of what salvation was all about. You see, God did far more uh, in terms of salvation just to save you and get you into heaven. If, if that's your understanding of the gospel, then that is a, a very, very shallow understanding of the gospel. As, uh, as I think it was Ian Thomas said, God didn't just save you to get you into heaven, He saved you to put heaven back into you. And that's such a profound statement when we start to unpack that. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to understand what does it mean that He didn't save me just to get me into heaven but saved me to put heaven back into me. And to understand that, I think we have to understand why God made us in the first place. What was the point of man? Why did God make man? And I think to to understand that uh, there's some clues in the story of Genesis, in the, in the Genesis account. So if you got your Bibles, turn to, to Genesis 1. All right. Slide on your phone or push the buttons, or they got to, I'm not sure what the proper phrasing of that is now. Browse, Browse yeah. Google your Bible and then. so in Genesis one, and um, we'll go through this kind of quickly at the beginning here. Uh, So in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and saw there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there is evening, and there is morning one day. So day one of creation makes light, separates from the darkness, he, he looks over all his creation, and then what does he declare? It's good.
1: It's good. It's good.
0: It's good. Day two comes along, and day two, he makes the the waters and separates the waters from the from the atmosphere, from the heavens, from the expanse, and then he looks over creation, and what does he look? What does he declare? It is. Good. It's good. Day three. He separates the oceans and causes vegetation to grow. Uh, He Then looks over over creation. And then what does He discover? It is? Day four, He makes the sun, the moon, the stars. The judgment is? It's good. Do you see a pattern yet? Day five, God makes the fish and other sea creatures along with the birds. And then He looks at His creation and He declares it is? Good. And then day six. Day six is interesting. He makes man, both female and male. Makes all the beasts of the land. And then He surveys creation. And then what does He discover? What does He see? What's His declaration? It is very good. good. Now, that's different. For five days, God looked at creation and declared it is good. But on the sixth day, He said it is very good. Now, what was so special? What was so unique? Or put it another way, what was creation missing at the end of day five that he made in day six to make it very good? And don't say man. Intelligent life? life? Uh, I said don't say man. (laughs) (laughs) Although you might argue me on that one. Don't say woman then. Um, What was creation missing? The image of God. You see, God wasn't in the rocks. He wasn't in the mountains. He wasn't in the stars and the sun and the moon. He wasn't in the fish. He wasn't in the water. He wasn't in the air. He wasn't in the plants. He wasn't in the trees. He wasn't in the fruits. He created it and it was good. And it declares out and cries out to God. And it lets us know that there is a God, but God wasn't in that. And so creation was good, but it was missing God. And so God then makes man, and He makes man how? In His own image. That's one of those truths I think we pass over with, because we hear so many times. God made man in His own image. Yep, next. Let's move on. But think about that for a second. He made man in the very image of Himself. That doesn't mean man was God, but what it means is that if creation ever wanted to see what God was like, Who did they need to look to? Who did they need to look to? To man, to Adam and Eve. And in seeing Adam and Eve, they knew what God was like. They could see the character of God. They could see the very image of God. And what man and women were doing is they were they were reflecting. They were they were they were sharing that image of God. They didn't they didn't uh were their own source of themselves for the glory they had was a derived glory. But make no mistake, man had a glory. Uh look what um look what Psalm eight says with with David. Psalm eight. Uh, David writes, "O Lord, our, our O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Thy name in all the earth! Who has displayed Thy splendor above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes Thou hast established strength. And because of Thine adversaries, to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider Thy heavens and the work of Thy fingers, the moons and the stars which Thou hast ordained. What is man?" Now, don't read that as saying, what is tiny little old man? I mean, the stars and the heavens are so immense. Have you ever had that experience? You walk out in the, in the middle of the night in the clear sky and you can see all the stars. And say, wow, this is so en- enormous. The universe is so big. I'm just a little tiny speck. Have you had that experience? That's not what David's talking about. David's not saying, oh, what a little speck I am. No, he's saying how immense and how wonderful and how great that is. What is man? For man is far greater. Why do I say that? What is man that thou dost take thought of him and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. That's where our position was. Now the old King James, they saw that. You know how they translated it? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. They couldn't, they couldn't rationalize, they couldn't reason in their head that God would make man a little lower than himself. But that's what God has done. The glory you and I have is immense. But again, it's not a glory of ourselves. It's a derived glory from the image of God. It goes on to say in verse, verse 5, Yet thou hast made him a little lo- lo- lower than God, and thou hast crowned him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of, the land of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. You and I have been given dominion. That was what we were created for. Have dominion, have authority to rule over this world, but to rule it well meaning that when we had dominion and ruled over this world, this creation, it wasn't for ourselves. And much of what our dominion has been has been for ourselves. So all of this creation is there to serve me. But we've been given rule and dominion to rule well over this creation. And to rule well from the power, the strength, the very glory of God Himself. Because that's what man was created but not only that, man was created for intimacy with God. So we have this glory, we have this majesty, this rule, this dominion, but that's such a small slice compared to the intimacy that we are made for for God. I mean Adam and Eve, they would walk with God. Could you imagine that? I mean Enoch had that. He walked with God. I think that's so incredible. David's prayer in, in, in another psalm, he says, My one thing, my one desire, if you give me anything it is, it's this, that I may dwell in your house, that I may be with you. That's what I long for. I want to know you, God. I want to live with you, God. I want to walk with you, God. I want to see you face to face. That's the desire of us. That's the desire that is all Christians are to have, but that's what we are made for. We are made for intimacy. And you see, that's what those two trees were all about. Have you ever really thought about the two trees? I was thinking about this this last week, about the two trees. And, and growing up in the church and the, the countless sermons I've heard, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on the two trees. I mean, I've heard them mentioned briefly in passing, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone actually stop and talk about what the two trees were all about. And that to me is a travesty. It's absolutely horrible that that's the case. Because the two trees is one of the two most important moments in all of history. The two trees and the cross are the two greatest moments in all of history. Because the two trees lead to the cross, the cross is the answer to what happened with the two trees. And we have such a, a shallow understanding of the two trees, which might explain why we often have a shallow understanding of the cross. Because we don't know what the two trees are all about. I mean, there are there really, I think, two questions about the two trees. And um, and let's read about them, and I think we'll, we'll see the, the two questions. So turn in your Bible again to Genesis 2. And verse 8. And so the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in the Eden, and there He placed the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord had caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we see God putting two trees in there. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Notice it wasn't just the tree of good and the tree of evil. It was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It goes on to say in verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat from it, you will surely get a stomachache. You will surely be sad and depressed. Is that what it says? You will surely die. I think there's two questions that rise up right away. The first question, why did God put a tree in there in the first place? I mean, why the tree of knowledge good and evil? I mean, if you're going to have a tree that leads to death, I mean, why create in the first place? I have four little girls at home, and, and we have baby-proofed our home. I mean, we got a little gate at the top of the stairs so they don't fall down the stairs, meaning I've got to leap over the gate every time I come up the stairs. We've got, we got things to cover the electrical socket so they don't stick forks or knives in there or their fingers and get shocked like I did. We, we've got you know sharp things. We, we put them away high so they can't touch them or breakable things so they, 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 they can't break them and get hurt. I mean, we look after our kids. We protect them. We keep them safe. And yet, here, here's God. He makes creation. He makes the garden. And He puts within the garden something that's going to kill man. Did God just not do a good enough job baby-proofing? he have done a better job. And then the other question is, then why death? Why is that the result? Well, let's, let's answer these two questions. Let's we'll start with the one of why the two trees in the first place? Why the tree of, of, of knowledge of good and evil? And that is, I think, answered in the, in the nature of love. See, love demands a choice. It really does. If if you don't have to, if you have to love someone, is it love? I mean, Jackie, if I say love Brian or I'm going to shoot you. Can't tell me what to do. <laughs> you can't tell me what you do. I, but I'm going to shoot you. I know, but I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you if you don't love Brian. What are you going to do? Are you going to, I mean, is that love if you go and love Brian? No, it's self-preservation. Love demands the option to not love, but I'm going to love anyways. You're right. I can't tell Jackie to love Brian. It's got to be something she chooses to do. She needs to have the option. See, love without a choice is not love at all. And so God, in choosing to make you and I, He declared His love for us. I sometimes think we forget that. See, God didn't have to make you and I. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't even owe you life. But he chose to give it to you. He chose in his divine will, his desire to say, I want to give you life. I want to make you. And so when man made or sorry, when God made man, when he made creation, it was his declaration saying, I love you. I choose to make you. I don't have to. But I choose to. I was doing pretty good without you, and I'll do pretty good when you're gone, but I choose to make you nonetheless. I love you. So love demands a choice. But now it's man's turn. See, man now needs to choose to love God, meaning we need the option to not love God. So God then brings in the two trees. You see, it had nothing to do with the fruit and the trees. It could have been two of anything. It could have been um, two mountains to climb or two rivers to get into or two lakes to swim in. It could have been two chairs to sit at. It could have been two pianos to play. It could have been two whatever. Two pairs of shoes to wear. Two hats to put on. It just needed two of anything. And so God chose two trees. And He said you can choose the tree of life, meaning you choose to love Me you choose to find life in me. You choose to depend upon me. Or, you can choose the other tree. You can choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree of independence. tree of not loving me. The tree of trying to find life in yourself. And so these two trees were there to demand a choice from you and I. And Adam made the wrong choice. He chose independence. And before you jump all on Adams and blame it on Him, guess who has that same choice each and every day? We do. We have that choice still. Do we love God and depend upon Him? Or do we choose to find life in ourselves? And see, that leads to the second question of why death? Why is death the result of this? And that's because I think it's found in really the, in the deception that Eve fell for. See, Satan comes along, the serpent. Right? And the serpent wasn't a little snake as our as our garden illustration figures. The serpent was was the serpent. He was Satan. In Hebrew it says it was a shining light. Which I think is kind of interesting. My wife knows why, because she's attracted to shiny things. And look at all the trouble that Eve has gotten gotten into when she was attracted to a shiny thing. And so I always think it's interesting. Women are attracted to shiny things, that always leads to trouble. Amen, boys? <laughs> all quiet now, right? <laughs> no one wants to admit to that, but we'll talk later. Okay. But but Eve comes or Satan comes along and begins to tempt Eve, and what's the temptation? Eat of this tree and you'll be like who? You'll be like God. They're already in the image of God, and yet they're thinking I can do something to be like him. Now, remember, Eve and Adam, they've seen God. They've walked with God. They they know the character of God. So Eve isn't thinking, wow, if I eat of this tree, I get to go and sin. I get to experience all the pleasures of sin. Oh, how wonderful that will be. She's not looking for that. She's not thinking about sin at all. She's thinking about being what? Being like God. Doing good. I can do all kinds of wonderful things. I can be like God. I can help. I can I can live. In fact, I'll live like I've never lived before. In fact, I'll have real life. You see, God, He doesn't depend upon anyone. In John it says that God has life in and of himself. God is the source and the author of his own life. And he's thinking that's a pretty good deal. I won't have to be dependent upon anyone. I'll have life in and of myself. And so she goes and she partakes of this and she gives some to her, her husband, Adam, who was right there. Adam wasn't far off going, oh, what have you done when he returns? He was right there, quiet the whole time, witnessing it and didn't do anything. And then he was disobedient and he did the same thing. He chose independence. He chose and Eve chose to find life in and of himself. You see, if they chose the tree of life, they would have had life in God they would have been choosing God, but instead they chose to go it alone. And the result is not life as they thought it was, but death as God promised. For now they were separated. They were cut off from their very source. They were disconnected from God. And so instead of finding life, they found emptiness. They found death. And that's what has plagued man ever since. And the moment that happened, man has been looking for life. We've been looking for life from other people, from looking at what we do. And we think, maybe if I do more good and less evil, then I'll find life. Maybe if I sin less and I, and I help others, maybe then they'll love me and then I'll be okay. Maybe if I get you to love me, then I'll have some worth and some value. And we've been a community of good intentions ever since. Living out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Trying to do less good or more good and less evil problem is it's the wrong tree. It's the wrong tree altogether. And so God ever since then has been planning or been working on the restoration of man. And so right after man fell in Genesis 3, he promises the cross. Remember what he says to Satan that the seed of a woman being who? Jesus Christ not just any man, but a seed, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ Himself will come. And Satan, you will bruise his heel. You will nail him to a cross and crucify him. But He will crush your head. He will overcome you. And so that leads us to the cross. The second greatest moment, and not second in terms of of status, but, but of the two greatest moments, the other one is the cross. Because it answered the tragedy that took place at the fall of man and that's where man was restored with God's restoration project. And so God did this with two parts. One, he sent Jesus. And for 33 and a half years, man got to see what man was meant to be. You see, I think Ray Ray Steadman says it really good. He says it takes God to be a man. You see, God was created in the image or sorry, man was created in the image of God, meaning that it takes God to be a man. And if you don't have God, you are not all man was meant to be. You are as empty as Adam and Eve were after that fall, after that sin. But when Jesus shows up, He is the second Adam, the last Adam, the first time since Adam and Eve where God is walking in a man. Remember what the prophecy shall be. You shall have a son and his name shall be... What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. For the first time in thousands of years, God can live in a man. Sure, in the Old Testament, He could come upon a man, but He could not dwell in a man. He could not live in a man until Jesus shows up. And now He can live in man. He can live in Jesus. And so we got to see what man was like. What it was to be a real man, which is to have God in him. And so Jesus walked around, never trusting in Himself, but always trusting in His Father who lived in Him. So He says to Philip, If you've seen Me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Because the Father is living in me, doing His works. You see, that's how Jesus did those miracles. That's how He did all those signs and wonders. You see, the answer to the question of who fed the 5,000 and who who healed the sick and who raised the dead and the really powerful miracles like loving the disciples and not killing the Pharisees when they kept coming after Him and and loving the unlovable. The answer to the question of who did that, was it God or Jesus, is what? It's yes. It was God in a man named Jesus Christ. See, Jesus said, apart from my my Father, I do nothing. Nothing. Not very little. He didn't say, apart from Father, I, I do the little things. He says, apart from the Father, I do nothing. And so man got to see what man was intended to be. Someone who is completely dependent upon another. We are created to be dependent. The idea that you and I can be independent, you don't need anyone, is the lie that we've been falling for since the garden. The gospel according to Oprah isn't new. It's the same one we've been falling for. You and I were made and created to be dependent upon someone else, dependent upon the Father, upon God. And so the second part then is at the cross where God makes that all possible. Where He shows us what it means to live, now He's going to make it possible with the cross. Where on that cross, He restored us and it makes it possible for Him to put His very life within us. And now, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are no longer that same person. You are now someone new who now has the very life of Christ dwelling in Him. You are now forever changed. You are no longer the same person. You are now Christ in you. You're Christ in John. No longer just John. You're Christ in Harry. No longer just Harry. You're Christ in Cassandra. No longer just Cassandra. Christ lives in you. And that now changes your entire course, changes who you are, how you're identified, and it's also going to change how you live. You see, if I'm now identified as Christ and Ross, then I'm no longer identified by what I do and don't do. I'm no longer defined by what's been done to me. So my sins and my shame, my mistakes and my shortcomings, my perceived faults, they don't declare who I am anymore. My successes and my failures don't affirm who I am. Instead, I am simply Christ and Ross. Something that was done to me by my Father and can never be undone, regardless of what you do to me, what you think of me, what you say to me, or what I do or say or even think of myself. I am Christ and Ross. That is who I am. And that changes also how I live because I don't have to live alone. I don't have to get up here and speak to you on myself. Because if it was, it would be a bumbling mess. Instead, I can depend upon the Father as He lives His majestic, glory-filled life through you and I. And we could be restored to what God was intending us to be. The image of God. Again, the glory doesn't come from us. It's a derived glory from the very life that now lives within us. And so God in us now can manifest His life through us. Now, let's think about how that applies to being a community of grace. You see, it's great and wonderful to know that I am no longer judged by what I do or don't do. Amen? But what does that say about everyone else in this room? Everyone else in this room is also not judged by what they do or don't do. In fact, everyone in this room that's accepted Christ is identified by the fact that they are Christ in them. And if I'm going to be critical and judgmental of them, who am I being judgmental and critical of? Be careful. If I'm judgmental and critical of where someone is on their journey, and it's God's God's role and God's job to mature me, who am I critical of? The one who's maturing me. And so we ought, we ought to look at one another in that sense that we are loved, we are accepted, we are a community of grace because of what God has done. Again, how we do that is not from ourselves, but from Christ in us. And we're going to explain more of that and, and really the, the sins and the shame that is, has haunt us and, and continue to haunt us. We'll explain more of that in, in the weeks to come. But I want you to see today the glory that, that we were created for. It was a glory that is dependent upon God living in us. Not just a, a simple uh, facsimile. Not just a, a, an attempt in my own strength to reproduce this life. Because you can't. You cannot reproduce the life of God. All you can do is allow the life of God to reproduce itself in you. Whereas Ray Stebman says, it takes God to be a man, it takes Christ to be a Christian. It takes God to be a real man, but now it takes Christ to live the Christian life. And so, He restores us to what we are meant to be, a person, a life to be dependent upon another. To go to the tree of life and say, God, I love you and I choose to rely upon you now as you live your life in me. As you love the others around here. Because in and of myself, I can do nothing. And that begins to determine how we live. It begins to determine how we see one another. It it determines how we love and be this community of grace. I think
1: we'll take a break here.